0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So in the end of August, this guy was talking to now boyfriend, 43 male. He wears a size 12 shoe, important later, and I twenty, one female, went fishing. We went to one of our normal spots, a spillway-type deal, coming off a mountain tucked into a small bowl, like Valley. There's a really nice little pool there. So we go fishing, and it's like 10 p.m. We had seriously just gotten there and set up when a giant rock came flying through the air into the middle of the pool. We hollered out, hey, we're fishing down here. Sorry for disturbing your camping, but we're done setting up and just want a quiet night. We'll be respectful, if you will. A second later, another rock came flying through the air and landed two feet from me. We decided to go investigate who is chucking rocks at us. I go and shut off our side. By side, so there's no lights. We go up to where the rocks seemed to be coming from and didn't see anyone or any footprints. We go back down to our little hole and I feel someone watching me from each side of the valley. I was starting to freak out but not going to say anything because I'm a big tough girl. I'm not but I didn't wanna seem like a wimp another rock comes flying down into the pool. I clean up my stuff and go to my boyfriend and say I'm leaving with or without you. He agrees to leave and we pack up. I tell him I felt like we were being watched from both sides and he agrees. Well he was pissed so he goes back to check out where we were the next day He found where the person was camping and had a stockpile of large rocks to throw at us. Whoever it was dug out a hole to sleep in, and my boyfriend found footprints that made his feet look tiny, probably a size 15. And where they were camped, they had a perfect line of sight to us. The crazy thing is, we walked right below him and were six feet from him. We never saw him, even with our headlamps on, and I kept looking in his direction. I do have the pixie he sent me, but he has an old phone, and won't let me get him one with a better camera. My old man would take my brothers, and I hunting out of this little cabin in Colorado. The cabin is way isolated, and I mean this place is a good thirty to forty miles from the nearest town and that itself is only a handful of people nestled right in the middle of Nowhereville, United States of America. To get there you have to go over a mountain pass and take a ton of old dirt roads, but in the end it's worth it. The hunting is great, the sights are unforgettable, and you are completely isolated. One year, my brother, who I'll call Carl, and I decide to play a little prank on our youngest brother, Lo. We have a habit of telling scary stories, and this only increases when we go camping and hunting, because that's just one of the things you do out in the middle of the woods. Carl and I finish telling Lo a particularly frightening tale, and like the loving brothers we are, we start egging him on about all the creepy shit that's probably lurking outside the cabin as we speak. Lo is getting way into it and begins to freak out, and our dad has enough of mine and Carl's antics and sends us out to get more firewood. While we're out there, Carl and I devise an even greater prank that'll surely scar our baby brother for life. So like the idiots we are, we start making all these howling noises. Now we're a good 50 yards from the cabin at this point, and Carl and I are lying in wait for our little brother to come investigate where we went, since that's something our dad would make him do. Sure enough, Lyle comes out with a high beam light and starts scanning the area from the doorway to see where we are. Now Lyle hates coyotes and we continue to make howling and growling noises while he searches for us. And from what we can see of him, the kid is petrified on the spot as he looks for us. As soon as he passed Carl and I with the light, we jumped out of the darkness and snarled and ran at him on all fours, scaring the living hell out of our little bro. Mission accomplished. Next thing Carl and I know, our dad is in the doorway, and boy, our old Pops is fuming at this point. He grabs the light Lau had dropped and turns it on us as we're making our way back. I turned to Carl and told him it was nice knowing him. But before our dad goes full, Jack Torrance from the shining on our asses. Something changed in the way my dad was standing. I visibly saw his silhouette sag in the doorway as he looked out into the night and suddenly he's telling us to get in the cabin as fast as we can. I didn't hear anger in his voice at all. I just remember the fear in his words as he started yelling, Boys, don't turn around, just get back to the cabin. Now. Now, now. Carl and I barely made it through the door before our dad slammed it shut and managed to lock it with his shaking hands. He made it to his chair and sat down before facing us and said with the straightest face, Stop scaring your brother. Turns out they planned the whole thing, and we went out for firewood. This is my story with the Mothman of Chicago. I genuinely believe this one, in particular, Ruth's in Bussy Woods in the western suburbs, Rolling Meadows area. I am in a suburb next door. This occurred right at the start of the pandemic in early 2020. Many things were shut, and this moonless night was easily the darkest I'd ever experienced in the suburbs. Usually, light pollution means you can see 24-7, but this night was particularly dark and quiet. It was like 2 a.m., and I'm in the garage tinkering on one of the bikes listening to some music. Not super loud when there was a crash on the roof of my garage. I've had raccoons jump off the tree onto it before, but this sounded like a person my size just jumped onto it. The whole building shook. My garage is an old horse barn, relatively small for a barn, but big for a garage and detached and across the driveway. Well, I heard this and I knew it couldn't be a raccoon, but that's what my mind went to. So I grab a shovel and step outside, trying to look up. "'but it's so dark I can't see a darn thing. "'As I round the corner of the garage "'into the front part of my yard, "'which was so dark I couldn't see my neighbor's house. "'I swear on my life I hear something jump down "'and land maybe 15 yards in front of me. "'I can't see anything. "'I don't remember hearing anything breathe, "'snarl, growl, or anything like that "'which you would if you were face-to-face with a raccoon. "'They're noisy.' so I'm standing there, dead-stopped holding the shovel like a walking stick, unsure of what to do or even what's happening. I had a very visceral feeling that I was squaring down with something my size, though. I felt it. I knew I couldn't just stand there and wait to become a victim. I have a mentality that I never will be one. I'll throw the first stone every time. I raise the shovel to my other hand, taking a defensive grip and step forward, only taking one or two steps before I hear three heavy footfalls. Then I hear the fence behind my garage rattle, and then I hear a whooshing sound like a great pair of beating wings. I genuinely believe when I stepped forward, whatever was there turned, jumped on the fence and took off flying. I never even caught a glimpse. I was 100% sober no drinking and i don't do drugs i was not sleep deprived i only got off work an hour and a half prior i think my garage was the only light for miles and my music drew it in no one and i mean no one else was for a mile in any direction as far as i could tell As soon as that thing left, I shut down the garage and went inside somewhat shaken, thinking, holy crap, I damn near got into a fight with something, and I don't even know what it was. The reason I think that it was the Mothman and why I think it roosts in bussy woods is another story entirely. This is not an embellishment. This is a real event that happened to me, albeit only one time ever. The creepiest dive of my life. Two buddies of mine and I were on a night dive in the Puget Sound Hunting Prawns. It was about 1 a.m., and we're a good 100 feet deep, the pitchest black you could imagine. We used to do this thing on night dives where we'd get in a circle, turn off our lights, then stir up the water and watch the bioluminescence float around us like floating stars in a black, watery space. Beautiful. Only this one time we turn off our lights, stir up the water, and the water glows just enough to reveal a fourth person sitting in our circle. We were at a dive resort, so it wasn't so odd to see another diver. Only it was 1 a.m. We'd seen no one else prepping dive at the dock. He was also alone, which was odd considering the dangerous conditions of a night dive in those waters, and he had no fins or gloves. I don't know how he swam so well without fins or didn't get hypothermia without boots or gloves. We wore dry suits because it was so cold, but this dude was in a wetsuit with exposed skin, and we thought we saw a giant gash in one of the legs. So the three of us all notice him and we're too scared to move. I can hear my buddies painting in their regs, and the guy just smiles and waves, then swims away. Whenever you think you're alone and someone just shows up, like in an alley at night, it's weird as fuck. One hundred feet underwater at night is terrifying. I was camping at a popular campground in the mountains with my boyfriend. But it was November and it was their last open weekend, so no one was there. We were chatting and having a good time around the campfire and drinking. My boyfriend had to go pee, so he walked to the other side of the road and peed in the bushes. While over there, he very slowly and quietly got my attention and pointed out the large glowing eyes staring back at him from the bushes. He still has his dick out while in a stare-off with a mountain lion. We very carefully backed up and stayed really close to the fire until we went to bed in the car instead of the tent. We could hear it walking around after we went to bed that night. The worst part was I went to find the pit toilet fifteen minutes before this all happened. By myself. I even got slightly lost while trying to find it and was probably being stalked by the cougar. I've been pretty nervous camping ever since. My dad used to take me hunting on public hunting land in the late 80s, early 90s, and we would always, and I mean always, see the same affable elderly gentleman out there. The nicest man, a bird watcher. He would wear head-to-toe bright orange so no one would mistake him as prey, and he stayed on the main roads and rode a bicycle. Just a fantastic human who spent hours talking to my dad about wildlife and life in general. All of game wardens in the area knew him, and so did most, of not all of the regular hunters. Again, this man never went into the woods, wore bright orange, which included a bright orange hat, and rode a bicycle. He practically glowed. One day, this wonderful man was found, on the road, shot meticulously through the head. No one was ever arrested for his death. My father knew that no one could honestly state they thought he was a deer because of his precautions. We knew the poor man had been murdered. We never went hunting anywhere near there ever again. I saw an elf for Leprechaun. So I went off trail and started aimlessly wandering in the general direction of a peak in the Uintas. From up a steep slope and from behind some very thick tree line, I started getting pelted with green pine cones. Those shits hurt. They were flying at me from quite a distance, and I tried to angrily chase down the source, but the terrain was too difficult to negotiate quickly. I didn't see one shape or even the hint of movement through the trees at all. It's like the pine cones were coming from absolutely nowhere and arcing perfectly through thick trees and nailing me almost unerringly. Not a one hit a single tree or branch, and that would have been impossible for me to do. Worst part, I could hear faint, high-pitched, creepy laughter. I am a 20-year veteran in the Forced Service. I've worked as a ranger now for 12 years. My time, and in all my time working for the government, I've never encountered anything out of the ordinary. That is, until my last station job as a ranger at Gooseberry Falls State Park in Minnesota. It was quite possibly one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had while on duty, and certainly not something I'll ever forget. Well, to explain how it happened, we need to go back about six months before that incident. I had been planning on retiring. My son had just graduated college and was looking to move closer to Minneapolis. So once he made the offer that he would work part-time with me while he looked for a full-time position, I decided to pass up retirement and stay on the job. By the way, I should make a note that this was all pre-covered. I had heard rumors of management positions opening up in the area, so after discussing it with him, we both agreed that he would come back home for around six months, while I waited for the opportunity to present itself. I was first introduced to Gooseberry Falls State Park during my orientation as a ranger there, and they took us out into the park at night time. It was an amazing sight getting to see all these bright campfires down below from way above on top of the waterfall. The rocks around the falls are very smooth and slippery due to years and years of erosion. You have to be careful if you want to climb down to view the falls at night. Our group had just finished our tour and was going to head back towards our cars when one of my coworkers, Tom, suggested that we climb down the falls, just you know for the sake of it. I agreed, and we should have known better, and so did a handful of others who were nearby. As soon as we began climbing down, I sensed something wasn't right, but being fearless, I pushed those feelings aside as nothing more than nerves. It started out easy, everyone traveling downward in a single file behind each other, staying close and yet far enough apart for safety's sake. Then, around three-quarters of the way down, things began to get a bit more dangerous. Tom fell. I didn't see him do it, but I heard the commotion. One of my other co-workers had seen what had happened, yelling up to us that he needed help getting Tom back up the rocks. Two guys rushed down to assist in whatever way they could, and while Tom was being helped back up, one of my female friends called out for help above him, saying she was slipping. It turns out that one part of the pass she had been on had been walking, had gave way underneath and sent her tumbling downward. While this may have been scary in and of itself, what happened next could only be described as something straight from a horror movie. We're all standing there in shock at what had just happened when I heard the sound of movement. I looked up, and there at the top of the ridge was this figure with long dark hair watching me. It was terrifying. It was in all black and had these faint yellow glowing eyes it was in that moment that i felt my entire body give way as if i suddenly lost control the next thing i knew i too was falling down to the grounds below me everybody rushed over to help save me and one guy managed to grab hold of my hand while another wrapped his arms around one leg for whatever little good that did they tried pulling me back up but there was no use I looked down below, and I could see there were people trying to help my friend, though they weren't having much success. I knew then that we were all going to die right here on these rocks if somebody didn't do something fast. That's why I remember the park ranger telling us about one of the waterfalls in this area called Lucifer Falls, which for some reason nobody had ever been able to find after climbing down to view it at night. It was said that once you get close enough, you could hear voices, supposedly spirits, whispering your name from below. Now, what is most troubling about this story is not so much what happened to me and my co-workers, but what happened with Tom and the female friend. As they were being pulled back up to safety before either of them could make it out of the water completely, we noticed that their eyes had turned from their normal state into a solid black. It was like at this moment that my two co-workers realized that they were struggling with weren't actually Tom or the girl. I'll never forget hearing one of them scream as he pointed downwards towards whatever our friends had become. The other one just before Tom and his girlfriend can pull themselves completely up onto the rocks, let go with both hands, jumping back down into the water below to avoid capture. We watched him swim off in the opposite direction, but by this time there was nothing we could do to save him. We never did find out what happened to any of them after that day. I can only assume they were captured and are now being used as some sort of test subjects for whatever their reasons may be. Just looking at my own hands now, I can still see the long dark hair growing on them, like I saw that day. That's why I'm warning you all not to venture down this path at night. As a matter of fact, it might be best just to stay away from these woods entirely during nighttime hours, like we should have. Whatever it is that inhabits these lands does not seem too keen on having people wandering around here at night. But if you are, be careful, for you may soon find the woods themselves can't tell the difference between friend and foe. I spent about six months last year essentially volunteering on organic farms in exchange for room and board. One of the farms I stayed at was actually an off the grid homestead near Mount Hood, Oregon populated by shamanic hippies who had some wild stories themselves. And while not remote, was deep enough in the mountains that we had no neighbors for at least ten miles in every direction beautiful forested land with an amazing view of Mount Hood from the garden. I was camping every night for about two weeks before weird things started happening. The first bizarre occurrence happened not to me, but to a fellow friend who I'll call Jay. Now I'm not particularly outdoorsy. I grew up in the woods in North Florida and spent my formative years getting lost in places I shouldn't be, but I don't have a great deal of camping experience and only the most basic survival skills. I am comfortable in the woods, but only until sunset. Jay, a true outdoorsman, had been a forest ranger in the Alaskan bush for two years prior and frequently went on weeks. Long solo, backpacking trips. He had shown up at the farm a few days after me and had set up camp over a mile further down the mountain than I had which I initially thought was a dickish move, but later came to appreciate because he played his harmonica at all hours, and nobody needs to hear that shit. He was a slow-talking Minnesotan that favored all things logical. One morning we met up for breakfast, and he asked me if I'd heard all that screaming the night before. I hadn't. He told me that he had been laying in his tent with his headlamp on, reading a book when he heard a deep, rumbling scream just outside his tent. He turned his lamp off to listen more closely and realized that his entire tent was illuminated from the outside, as if someone was aiming a floodlight at it. In a few seconds after he turned his headlamp off, two things happened in rapid succession. The screaming cut off as if someone had flipped a switch and the light from outside clicked off. He listened for footsteps, but heard nothing. After a few moments of silence, he turned his headlamp back on and left his tent to investigate, because I guess he had never seen a horror movie in his whole goddamn life. He said that there was nothing in the clearing and no movement from the surrounding forest, even though he hadn't heard anything leave, and the scream had been very close to, if not within, his camp. Then he apparently shrugged to himself and went to sleep. Or maybe he passed out in fear and was too much of a man to admit it he told me this over breakfast and i was horrified he said he'd never heard an animal that sounded like that and could not explain the light except that maybe a hunter had found their way onto our land but then where did they go he listened for footsteps and heard nothing he didn't seem worried just a bit perturbed it was very minnesota of him everything was quiet for a few weeks after that incident Jay left for another farm, and I remained in my old campsite, only about three-quarters of a mile down from the main cabin. I was comfortable in my tent and no longer jerked awake at broken twigs or animals moving through the brush. I was very proud of myself. Look at me, an outdoors woman, which was, of course, when the screaming started. I was laying in my tent just on the edge of sleep when it started. It was a deep, low roaring unlike any animal I knew to live in the mountains in that region. I consoled myself by saying it was an injured black bear, a messed up wolf, some kind of Lovecraftian mutant elk. Then from farther down the mountain something else began screaming, answering. The two whatever shrieked at each other for the better part of an hour. I laid in my tent trying to psych myself up to hike back up to the main cabin, but couldn't quite commit. I laced up my boots and put on my headlamp in case I had to make a run for it. Eventually, the screaming stopped, and I somehow managed to sleep. I woke up somewhere around 4 a.m. to something very large shuffling in the bush, directly behind my tent. I laid in the dark and listened absolutely terrified. Elk bear. It was too large. I could hear it ruffling branches of trees at least six feet off the ground. I heard it take a step, and then another. Bipedal. Human hunter. The hunter would never be as loud as this thing was, and I seriously doubt they would disturb an obvious campsite. Besides, in the month I'd been on the homestead at that point, I'd never heard a gunshot. I'd never seen anyone other than the people I was working with this far up the mountain. For that matter, I laid there, considering my options. It moved slowly like it was picking through the bushes behind me. Which, in retrospect, of course it was, had camped right next to wild blackberry. I lay and listened and waited for a long time, almost until sunrise. It was moving slowly down the mountain. I laid in my tent long after the noise died out. When I finally managed to rally my nerves and leave my tent, the brush behind my tent was obviously disturbed. I thought about investigating, looking for prints, droppings, but decided I'd rather just repress the whole thing and deal with it when I was far, far away from these woods. At breakfast, I asked my host, Ann about the screaming. She was delighted that I'd had a run-in with the forest people. She said that years ago, when they'd moved onto the land... The forest people would get into their garden and make a mess of things, so she'd started leaving baskets of produce for them as a sign of goodwill. They'd left the garden alone since. Then I camped out for another week before it got too cold and I moved into the main cabin and never heard anything weird again. Pretty anticlimactic, but I guess real life usually is. Still very bizarre and interesting. As a lifelong student of all things esoteric, it verified a lot of suspicions I had. Mostly that weird shit happens in the woods. It's also pretty telling that everyone I met in the Cascades. Granted, most of them were of the shamanic metaphysical persuasion had a Sasquatch story. There were a few other strange things about that place, but this story is by far the most interesting. Oregon is a weird, wonderful place. I'm a police officer, so I had just finished my shift and was on my current way home. I had stopped off at Wendy's to grab a quick bite to eat. It was right around midnight, so the drive through was pretty dead. As I went through the line, I saw this thing just standing there, watching me from across the parking lot. Not sure what it was, but it looked really tall and skinny, with gangly arms and legs hanging out. It gave me this very uneasy feeling, and I watched it as it turned and walked away over to some shrubbery behind one of those big light poles by the parking lot exit and entrance. I try not to think too much of it and just drove away. There's just something about what I saw that still really spooked me. I feel very unsettled in my stomach just thinking back to it. As I was getting home from work, I was still shaken up. I could not stop thinking about what I saw, so I decided to show my son and daughter, eight and ten, who were getting ready for bed, about what had rattled me so badly. Not that I could actually show them, but at least tell them. My kids kind of just looked at me like I was crazy, but being kids, I found they would believe me a lot more than my wife would. Then they started telling me about Slenderman, which sounds like it might be what I saw, but I don't know any of these creepy pasta characters kids watch nowadays. Could you kindly give me any information on what do you think I saw and was this paranormal or not? In the shadowy woods there stood a remote cabin that had long been forgotten by the world the cabin was nestled far from civilization. Its weathered walls and creaking timbers bearing witness to the passage of time. It had seen countless hunters seeking refuge within its walls over the years, but none had ever truly understood the chilling secret that dwelled within. One crisp autumn weekend, my friends and I decided to escape the bustle of city life and embark on a hunting trip. We were a group of seasoned hunters, drawn together by our shared love for the outdoors and the thrill of the chase. The cabin, hidden amidst the wilderness, seemed like the perfect place to call home for a few days. As we approached the cabin, the beauty of the surrounding forest took our breath away. The trees were adorned with the fiery hues of fall, and the air was filled with a crisp scent of pine. We couldn't have asked for a more picturesque setting for our hunting weekend. The cabin itself, though showing signs of wear and tear, had an undeniable charm. Its quaint appearance with a front porch and a chimney. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That released plumes of smoke into the brisk air was straight out of a postcard. We eagerly unpacked our gear and settled in, ready for a few days of camaraderie and adventure. The first night was filled with laughter and stories, accompanied by the comforting warmth of a crackling fire. We shared our hunting plans and strategies, all the while unaware of the dark history that clung to the cabin's walls. It wasn't until the second night that we began to feel a shift in the cabin's atmosphere. It started with subtle noises, Soft footsteps echoing in the hallway, doors creaking open and closing on their own, and a persistent tapping against the windowpane. We dismissed them as the quirks of an old cabin, but the unease settled in the pit of our stomachs. As the hours passed, the atmosphere grew increasingly oppressive. A cold breeze swept through the cabin, extinguishing the fire, despite the fact that all windows and doors were securely shut. The cabin seemed to come alive with eerie shadows that danced along the walls, their movements unsettlingly deliberate. A sense of dread descended upon us and we exchanged worried glances. That's when we heard it, a faint mournful wail that seemed to emanate from the very walls themselves. The hairs on the back of our neck stood on end as the sound grew louder, echoing through the cabin with an otherworldly anguished quality. We knew then that we were not alone. The cabin was haunted, and the restless spirit of a previous owner had been awakened by our presence. It was a truth we couldn't deny, no matter how much we wanted to rationalize the inexplicable. The spirit, it seemed, was trying to communicate with us. We could feel its presence— a malevolent force that bore the weight of unresolved pain and anger. It yearned for something, something, that had been denied to it in life, and it was determined to make us understand. We tried to leave to escape the cabin's oppressive grasp, but each attempt was thwarted by an invisible force that seemed determined to keep us trapped. Panic and fear took hold as we realized the truth. Our hunting weekend had become a nightmarish ordeal. As the night wore on, we huddled together, desperate for answers. We began to piece together the story of the cabin's previous owner, a man who had met a grisly end within these very walls. His restless spirit sought retribution, and it seemed that we were the unwitting targets of his torment. We spent the night in terror, our sleepless hours filled with chilling encounters and ghostly apparitions. The cabin had become a prison, its walls closing in around us as the vengeful spirit grew more insistent in its demands. By the time the first rays of dawn broke through the trees, we were physically and emotionally drained. The spirit's presence had left an indelible mark on us, and we knew that we could no longer stay in the cabin. With trembling hands, we gathered our belongings and made a final attempt to leave. As we crossed the threshold, a bone-chilling scream pierced the air, echoing through the forest. It was a sound that would haunt our nightmares for years to come. We fled the cursed cabin, never looking back, and made our way back to the safety of civilization. The hunting weekend we had so eagerly anticipated had become a harrowing ordeal, a brush with the supernatural that left us forever changed. We learned a powerful lesson that weekend, one that transcended our love for the hunt and the allure of the wilderness. Some secrets are best left undisturbed in some cabins, no matter how picturesque or forever haunted by the restless spirits of their past. I suppose it is expected that anybody who chooses to follow in the footsteps of smoking the bear would be possibly stuck in a few scary situations. That certainly was the case for me as I spent my nights working alongside park rangers on some of the most dangerous and terrifying trails in the states. It's not what one might think about being a ranger, though. We don't spend every day sitting around watching deer graves or children play in the playgrounds. Instead, what happens behind those locked gates is something more akin to horror movies than a picnic. If you manage to find your way through these wooded corridors without being eaten alive by some wild animal or eaten after by a bear, you could end up with some serious psychological damage. As my first summer as a ranger was coming to an end, I decided that I wanted to spend one last night in the woods alone. Not many rangers do that kind of thing anymore, but for me it was sort of this cleansing ritual. My girlfriend had just broken up with me at the time, and I needed time to work through that emotional trauma. I knew there were other people who understood my pain, They would be likely willing to talk about the world ending when we got close enough in proximity, but every man needs his space from time to time, even if he is working within the confines of the law. To be honest, I wasn't really sure where to expect to be out there in the woods with no one else around. I had been alone quite a few times before, but never running into any real trouble. But this time my mind was racing through the worst case scenarios and it almost felt like fate that I would get caught up in some kind of adventure by myself. Either I was going to find somebody who could relate to all my situations or perhaps even fall for them as they helped me do it all. Anyway, I made it to the trailhead and then Julian began hiking down towards it to my favorite spot at Lake Oroville State Park. The entire park is beautiful. Located not far from Sacramento, but until you are actually standing deep within its borders, you can't truly grasp its beauty. I loved watching the weather rolling over the water, feeling the cold air as it rushed past my face and into my lungs, waking me up from a lazy afternoon nap. I felt at peace with myself every time I visited this spot, but not so much that other people bothered me. That's why this was almost certainly going to be a good night. I just crossed over one of the small bridges leading across the lake when I heard something rustling behind me, more similar to the low growls than anything else, really. It sounded like something was stalking towards me, perhaps a bear. The only thing about these sounds that didn't scream bear were its frequency. They were more sporadic than I would have expected. My ears picked up this distinct sound of footsteps more than once actually as if somebody were running towards me directly through the thicket not wanting to meet with whatever was out there on my own terms i scrambled for one of the trees and threw myself up into it to try and hide unfortunately jumping back had cost me more time than i realized and by the time that i reached around and grabbed hold of a branch something hit me hard right in the side You know, it feels like forever before I felt like landing against something soft and squishy. It wasn't exactly warm or inviting, so all of those other feelings must just be an illusion brought on by adrenaline. It only took a single moment for me to realize what had been happening, that I had been wrapped at the ankles, waist, shoulders, and neck in some kind of netting. I didn't know what exactly it was made out of, but it wasn't rope. It was some sort of binding material. My hands were then completely immobilized by entanglement as well, so there wasn't much I could do other than struggle against my bonds, a dead, end endeavor if there ever was one. Now the first thing I noticed when I could finally see again is it was completely dark around me, all light coming from behind with only blackness ahead. Two dim lights appeared along the walls on either side of me and began approaching slowly, As my eyes now adjust, they were really more like natural animal eyes than any sort of man-made illusions. Even worse, I noticed that the blackness ahead of me wasn't really coming from a lack of light at all. Instead, there appeared to be some kind of organic wall blocking up my view, spreading out across the room to each side. I had no idea how large this place was, but it must have been bigger than what I could see. One behind me and another in front of me, they made themselves known. Moments later, footsteps. The noises were too far away for me to make out at first, but then I could hear they belonged to something, and more than two. Now, at this point, fear began gripping my heart as I lashed out against my binds once again, only to find that they hadn't been loosened in the slightest. More so, I thought, we'll get to that in a moment. I was hauled from my small prison by several sets of long clawed hands that dragged over what appeared to be some kind of altar. It was much different from one of those sacrificial altars appearing to be used in ancient times for rituals. The ones to appease unworldly beings were said to lurk within the space between two worlds but this one seemed more like a place where people got together for satanic worship or other unholy activities. These beings holding me lured me down onto it and began weaving this sort of flower all around me while chanting something in this ungodly language. I was so terrified I swear I could have had a heart attack. I could make out all the words, but I had no idea what this thing was or what they were saying. The entire group of these things began chanting in unison as they surrounded me, continued weaving more of this plant material around me. It felt like forever before they finally got to the last one. All I could do was just lay there on my back, completely immobilized by flowers, while these creatures circled around me once and turned their backs towards me. The chant stopped abruptly and every creature but one turned to leave. The remaining one tossed this mask aside, revealing a set of devilish features underneath it. What I had been dealing with looked like a combination of wild, feral human beings and kind of goblinish people. You know what? It kind of reminded me of the trolls or orcs in Lord of the Rings humanoid, terrifying looking, but also not human. That's what they reminded me of. It stood there, shaking its head from side to side, slowly with its arms raised upward as I tried to break free. Again, I cannot reiterate how terrifying this was. I had no idea what was going to happen, and I was convinced in that moment I was about to be sacrificed by some sort of underground dwelling creatures. I was so scared beyond belief. Then this thing pulled its arm down after shaking its head and walked away. Completely immobilized, I tried my best to get out of my entrapment, and I believe it was the massive amounts of adrenaline exploding through my entire being that allowed me to break free. As I did, though, I could hear these things coming back, and I knew I had to escape as quickly as I could. Once fully free, I started to run for it, escaping in just a matter of time, feeling my way out of this black organic labyrinth. I don't know if I was in a cave or what this was, but as I reflect back on these memories, I had so much flooding through my mind. I feel like I kind of blacked out. I don't really know if I remember much after that. But I do distinctly remember collapsing on the ground and being found later on. I know that's probably very anticlimactic, but when the human body endures that kind of traumatic stress, it does things to the brain that aren't exactly normal. Anyway, I was treated at the hospital, ultimately taken back to the station and sent home. I didn't actually believe what I experienced at first. I thought it was some crude nightmare or horrible hallucination, but it wasn't until later that I realized it must have been something that really happened because I actually had binding marks around my ankles, my thighs, my waist, and my wrists. Those bindings were on tight And I must have wiggled free enough that I loosened them. Like I said, whatever the bindings were made of, they were this crude rope vine material. I've never seen it before in my life. None of them really believed me, though, when I actually got a chance to describe what happened. They thought I was either making it up or just had a bad nightmare. As you can probably bet, this incident has been difficult for me. At any rate, this is my story, and I hope you can get enjoyment from a real-life traumatic event. I don't care if you believe me, and if you choose to read this, which, by the way, you have permission to, I don't care if your readers believe me. I know there's something out there that lives underneath the ground, something that isn't quite human. The beast was never clearly seen, but around 1992, while hunting a swamp just before dark here in Louisiana, I was stalk hunting while wading through knee-deep water. I saw water movement through some very thick hedgerow, like brush. At first, I believed it to be duck, so I sneaked up to the edge of the brush for a clear shot but when I got there I could see movement through the thick brush six feet over the water and at the same time there were small wakes in the water coming through the brush every time it moved I was less than 10 feet from this animal and I could hear it sniffing the air it suddenly froze still when it picked up my scent we were frozen in a noiseless standoff for at least two minutes it couldn't see me but it was looking for me because it knew I was very close I knew this was something weird, and my situation wasn't good, so while mostly hidden, I slowly and quietly, over a minute or so, replaced the bird shot in my 12 gauge with three. Three Magnum Zero Buckshot. When I raised my gun to ready fire, it saw me, and when it did, I believe it thought that I was closer than it expected, because that thing screamed like a wild hog being killed X 10. Very hair. Raising loud. It then suddenly leaped several feet out of the water and about 12 or so feet out into deeper water of about eight ten feet deep. In that instant, when it jumped, I could see its back or something slightly above the brush. It had spiked hair. When it landed in the water, it sounded like a 300-plus-pound animal splash. It remained underwater until it reached the other side of the slough. When it came out on land, I couldn't see it. I then made a huge circle around the animal to try and cut it off in an ambush. I wasn't really scared because even though it was God knows what, I knew I scared it more. I mean, I sneaked up less than ten feet of this thing and it had no clue I was even there until it winded me. Besides at that range at twelve gauge with that load of shots is like being shot ten times with an hour fifteen in one spot. A 12-gauge load like that can put a hole the size of your fist through a wild hog. That's an animal that has one of the toughest hides on the planet. There's nothing on this earth that will survive very long with a rib ribcage shot from that load at that range. I knew this already. That's why I give chase. Anyway, I tried ambushing with no luck. I wanted to continue hunting it, but all I had was a small pocket light and it was only about 10 minutes before total darkness. Before I set out of the swamp, I looked and found its tracks. I found canine-like tracks about four or five feet wide in six, seven foot long. They were bipedal tracks set about six feet apart due to the animal running. There's a lot more to the story, but I will leave it at this for now. I gathered enough info about this animal over the years that I'm convinced it can be hunted and killed. It walks on two legs and has canine, like feet, so it's whatever you want to call it. I just know it exists, and I see it more as an animal than a monster. My girlfriend's dad told us he was out moose hunting when they came across three guys from out of state looking to party before a wedding. Get drunk and have a good old time. They were loud as if for the next two nights, to the point the dad's group went and checked it out. The groom had been tied up and was beaten because he cheated on his bride with one of his friends, significant others. After he was rescued, he told them they held a gun to his head and he was most likely going to be murdered in rural Alaska. This story almost belongs on No Sleep. But I swear it's real. Hiking along a section of the PCT with my aunt and dog, after three days we found ourselves at an impassable river crossing with a dog and have to head back. Reluctant to go over the mountain passes we just did, we pulled out our map and find what seems to be an interesting trail through the Ansel Adams wilderness. To that will put us back where we started. We go to a resupply point, got some dinner and a shower, and ask if we can get a four-wheeler ride up the road to the trailhead. They say nobody goes up that road, and we couldn't get one. But a man on vacation with his family offers to help up out. We drive about two miles up the road, and it proves to be so washed out it becomes impossible to drive further so we than him for his help and continue on foot. We walk another three miles or so to the trailhead and find it completely destroyed by falling over trees and it looks like no one has been there for decades. Turns out this was an old logging road used in that area before it became a wilderness area 50 or 60 years ago. So we start hiking down the trail another four miles until we camp for the night. Along this trail we see nothing but bear tracks and deer tracks, no people tracks, horses or anything. We even stumble on a bear in the middle of taking a dump on the side of the trail and scare him off. From our camp, the road or trail gets really tough. It was about six miles of climbing over giant fir trees one after another. We finally reached an opening and followed it for about another mile until amazingly we couldn't believe it, but we came up on a two-story building way out there in the middle of nowhere, 15 miles from the nearest people and fifty from any civilization. This place was super eerie. The house was straight out of the Blair Witch, and it must have been there since before it became a wilderness area. This where thing got weird. We found a sign here for our trail that pointed directly into thick brush and bushes. This is when we knew we were a little screwed. We decided that we should just go for it anyway. We... We're too far to turn back now, and luckily we had a GPS to help guide us even without a trail. So we go through the bushes and follow what used to be a trail. We get about another mile or so down the trail before I notice barefoot human prints. Let me remind you that I've been seeing bear prints and cougar prints along this trail the whole time. These were human. I put my size 11 hiking shoe over it and they were the same size and shape and asked my aunt if I was going crazy and she agreed it was human. We walked another 500 yards down the trail with human prints leading us to what looked like either a dump or a homeless camp. There was a tarp strung up, trash bags piled up, and garbage scattered all over next to the creek. No, F that. No more investigating this creepy place in the middle of nowhere. We just hiked as fast as we could, continuing up the hill and away from that place as possible with the eerie feeling that someone was watching us for miles. We continued the way we did hiking with no trail for another 12 miles until we reached a maintained trail on the other side of the pass along some really pretty areas that probably haven't been seen in years. But seeing a homeless Bigfoot camp in the middle of nowhere was not one of them. However, when I was younger, my father bought a plot of reclaimed coal mines land. It was quite literally in the midst of hundreds of acres of wilderness. Me and my younger brother would play in the woods around our house, and we found some interesting stuff. There was an old wooden wagon that was broken down and rotting that we found. We also found what looked like the remnants of an old cable pulley system with wooden buckets attached to it. The thing that scared me the most happened to me and my best friend at the time. We were outside playing basketball when these shadowy figures appeared at the edge of the forest. There were four of them and they were completely black except for their eyes. It was like a pinprick through paper that when you shine a light on it, the paper is the shadow and hole is this area of light. That's what their eyes looked like. They knew us by name and called out to us. They were calling us over to them. We ran away into the house and didn't come out for a long time. This happened when I was eight or nine years old, and I guess I repressed it, but I kept having this memory of these shadow people and my friend. At first, I thought it was just a dream that I'd had, but the memory was persistent. When I was much older, I believe mid-twenties, I was with my friend and told him that I had a question that I needed to ask him. I told him that it was going to sound crazy, but it happened. While we were playing basketball when we were younger, he instantly answered saying the shadow people at the edge of the woods. It completely threw me. He verified that it had truly happened without me really asking about it. It still shakes me to this day when I think about it. About 30 years ago, my five-year-old daughter and myself had been invited out to be a part of a friend's wedding party. The event took place at their family's rural summer camp in Hawkerk, Alberta. We were there as a group preparing for the wedding a week ahead of time, and the women of the wedding party were being housed in a mobile home on the camp property. One night, just days before the wedding, I was awoken by a strange sound, and upon opening my eyes, I noticed a very bright beam of light shining in the curtainless window beside our bed. I sat up to investigate, and my first thought was that a helicopter was hovering in the sky above the home. But looking up, I realized that what I was seeing was nothing like a helicopter or anything I had ever witnessed before. I saw what looked to be an almost silent, huge, dark form hovering in the sky humming slightly and shining a very narrow beam of light from quite a ways up directly into myself and my daughter. I froze, scared out of my mind. I realized that what I was seeing was not anything my rational brain could figure out. I sat there stunned as minutes went by, and this object continued to hover without moving at all. I finally reached over and woke up my daughter, who instantly became frantic. I grabbed her from the bed, raced to another bedroom, occupied by another bridesmaid, and woke her up to tell her what had happened. The next day I was sheepish to talk about what we had seen as the bride and groom were extremely Christian and conservative, and I thought that they wouldn't appreciate or approve of hearing my story. To this day I have never been able to forget that night, and I have never been able to sleep without closed windows and curtains pulled tight. I'm back home in the United Kingdom, in my little cottage with my baby boy. I just put him down for a nap, and I was pottering around when I developed severe pain in the tummy. I went down like a bag of potatoes. I couldn't stand. The pain was so intense that I thought I was dying. All I kept thinking of was my son, and who would love him and care for him if I'm not here. After a few minutes, the pain went away as quickly as it came on. However, I contacted my doctors to book an appointment to check what was going on. My doctor examined me, and my tummy was tender, so he sent me for an endoscopy, which is where they send a camera down your throat to have a look at what is going on. A week before my endoscopy, I had an amazing experience that I'll never forget. I woke up in the middle of the night and felt a presence in my room. I slowly shrugged it off and started to fall back to sleep. However, I became aware of three child-like alien beings on my bed. I didn't feel scared, and I stood up, and I held hands with two of them, one on one side of me and the other two aliens on the other side of me. My bedroom wall then started to spin and turned into a porthole, and all four of us walked through. We came to a massive room with lines of computers and a large computer screen on the main wall. Very much set up like a NASA mission control center. But instead of humans at each computer, there were aliens. The room was white. Everything was white. And on the large screen on the main wall, there was a famous male celebrity. And I knew they were studying this male celebrity. I then looked down at the aliens that I was with and instantly knew that these three little guys were also studying me and that they knew far more about me than I did about myself. They had been studying me right from the beginning of my life on Earth. In the next scene, I remember I was lying on a medical bed and there was another alien which looked exactly like the child. Like Alien, but she was tall and adult like I knew she was female, and she spoke to me using telepathy. She started the operation, and I started to scream. And I mean scream, and she stopped what she was doing and told me off in a very stern way. She said the pain wasn't real and that I actually can't feel anything, and to be quiet, I did what she asked. She pulled two worm, like creatures, out of my tummy. They wiggled and looked very much alive. I was shocked at what came out of me and disgusted. She said there was one left in my tummy, but for some reason she left it in there. The last scene I remember was being outside, sitting at a table with the three child, like aliens having a cup of coffee. Aliens were walking to what seemed like work, and I was drinking coffee. I found it hilarious that they also had coffee and drank it like us humans. What I also found strange was that even though I was the only human there that I could see, no one gave me a second glance. It must have been common for them to see humans, I suppose. I went for my endoscopy a week later at my local hospital, and they just found inflammation of the stomach. However, I feel that these beings helped me in some way and maybe even healed my stomach. I'm not 100% sure, but that is my conclusion at the moment. Even though this was my first conscious memory of being invited to an alien world, I feel I must have been there many times before. I'm not sure why I was allowed to remember that experience, maybe to help with the healing process. I would love to know what those worm-like creatures were and how they got into my stomach. The worm-like creatures they extracted from me remind me of the scene in the first Matrix movie, which I find interesting.